Hi, it's Dave. Today I'm joined by Sandy Monroe, a well-known auto expert and design consultant. I'll link to his YouTube channel and website in the video description. I'm excited to dive into a whole host of topics regarding Tesla, the auto industry, and the future of transport. I want to welcome Sandy Monroe on the show. Welcome, Sandy. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Dave. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, thank you. awesome. Super excited. Um, first, you know, I, I wanted to talk about the whole landscape of auto Tesla, but also the future of where everything's going. But first, I wanted to start out with um, your recent meeting and interview with Elon Musk. You did a few months ago. Um, what stuck out was kind of like you know you're um, you were able to sit in with meetings with Elon Musk. I'm curious, what yeah. kind of meetings were were these? Can you share any more details on kind of what happened? Uh, yeah, there is really no restriction. I, I haven't gotten any restrictions from Elon at all. Um, so the first part of the meetings we're talking about, um, we had a half an hour together, basically, just the two of us. And um, we talked about what uh, we perceived to be the uh, the direction of the market and how quickly things were going to change. And um, um, in essence, talking about uh, the trip. So we had gone from Detroit to Los Angeles to San Diego, back to L.A., then to uh, Fremont and then up to um, uh, up to Oregon. And that's when I was asked to come to because we were going to do cold weather. But when we got to Oregon, we got the invitation to go and talk. Uh, down in uh, Brownsville, and so uh, we just drove straight down. Um, anyway, we talked about that a little bit, what kind of problems we had and things like that, and we didn't really have any problems. Um, and then we talked about, um, you know, who the contenders in the future might be. Um, just in general, talking about uh, things. And then um, <laughs> we spent like five minutes talking about the fact that we we don't use uh, a lot of fancy cameras and whatnot. We just use uh, we have iPhones. I mean, this is uh, this is the phone that everything was recorded on. Uh, I'm not an Apple salesperson, but I must say uh, it was kind of interesting for that. So then we did the interview, which you saw. Only about three minutes were cut out, and that was uh, basically when I went on a tirade about the press. Um, and it was mostly about a nasty picture that they used for, um, uh, what's her name? Bar, um, the lady in charge of General Motors, I've forgotten her name. Anyway, um, I mean, that was just, uh, that was just wrong. Uh, I, I thought that was crap. And so anyway, we cut that part out and then, uh, and then after we were done, um, Elon asked if we wanted to hang around to uh, to review a um, a rocket engine because he he obviously knows a lot about what I've been involved with and so he said I heard you worked on rocket engines in the past would you like to hang around um, and talk about um, uh, the um, uh, the engine that you know, one of the propulsion engines and so before that happened we talked about because we had toured. The facility, and um, and uh, I got a chance to see all of the different um, rockets in different stages, uh, the lift mechanism, not just the rocket. And then afterward, we talk about the rockets. So we were there for two and a half hours listening to hmm, what we would call a design um, uh, a design review. And uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, there was I had a 
couple of suggestions. I mentioned them to him as we were leaving, but th- that was at 10:30 at night. It got uh, that's we had just <laughs> we had just driven whatever a thousand, twelve hundred, whatever miles, two hundred, a long time anyway. And so we we broke it off there, and um, he said thanks, see you around, and um, and that was pretty much it. Mm. So that was a quick. Quick review, I guess. Got it. Um, Sunny Chu from Twitter has asked, how many people were in that design review meeting and how did they resolve differences of opinions to get to a consensus? Or or was the design meeting kind of more focused on Elon g- getting his input or how was no. kind of like the, the meeting? No, uh, the the meeting was, ba- it was like a typical design review. The only difference is that's the first time I've ever had a, a CEO sitting in a design review. In fact, um, I can't remember even a VP sitting through a design review. And in essence, what you're doing is you're saying, well, we have this issue or they have that issue. Um, and um, what can we do to resolve it? And then there was maybe 10 or 12 people that were on that meeting. And um, plus uh, one, two, three, four, there was another four or five in the actual room. So. The, uh, it was a Teams meeting, I think, and and so there was about ten or twelve out there, and then four or five more in in house, and then it was myself and Corey. And for the most part, um, I really felt awkward uh, making suggestions, but at the end, I mean, this was a, the, this was a very honest and open discussion. Elon actually made a suggestion, which was for the most part shot down by one of the people saying. You know, I, I just remember, come on, Elon, that that won't work. And he, and Elon said, well, give me the math. And he did. And then he said, oh, I guess not. And uh, and that was the end of it. So this was like a design review I'd have with other engineers. It's very much like the ideation sessions that we'd have at Monroe, trying to figure out how to get around a problem with a lot of people that have uh, very diverse uh, backgrounds. Mm. And. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's fascinating because, you know, in the past, you know, people have called Elon a, a businessman or investor or entrepreneur, but he seems to identify with engineer the most. He's an, yeah, he's an engineer. Uh, I'll tell you, um, all through the history of the United States, people have always uh, figured um, that even though this guy is, a, for instance, the founding fathers, most of them were farmers or they were soldiers. But if you read now, they were lawyers. That's not true. <laughs> it's not true, but it's what happens. Things evolve. So uh, with him, um, he's an engineer. Um, uh, that's a fact. When when he started talking, he said, wait a minute, and he went into a dissertation about propulsion or whatever and started writing down the formulas and whatnot. I, I don't know. I don't know of any businessman that can do formulas like that. Um, uh, and And lightning speed and right off the top of his head. He's an engineer. He's an engineer's engineer. And um, the big thing for me was how, uh, right, may, I can't think of a better word, but ordinary he was. Um, a lot of people, when they get into, um, you know, uh, the big office or a lofty position and whatnot, <clears throat> they turn into different kind of folks, you know. Oh, I'm too busy for that. I'm a big person, big, big picture person or something. He's not. He's a detailed guy. He can see the big picture, but uh, but he knows the only way to get to the big picture is through one step at a time. And so that's an engineer mind, not a not an MBA mind. 
a different, different, totally different way of thinking on programs, problems. I mean, um, at uh, Tesla's battery day, one of the things that stuck out was Elon was spewing out all these details on batteries as if he was, you know, one of the engineers behind this all. I mean, how much of the day do you think Elon is involved with, like, design meetings with for Tesla is do you think he's really in the nitty-gritty with you know the batteries or the factories or the car itself or like how do you envision like you know his role at Tesla I I can tell you for sure that um, he's in if, if there's a big decision to be made he's he's going to be part of it and by big decision I mean hey let's change the new chemistry or let's buy um um, let's buy a new company, um, or let me show me show me the technology that uh, that's come in from, you know, from outside. And of course, uh, I forgot the name. What's the name? Uh, something Spring. The Spring name. Power. Spring Power. So, as you know, um, on Battery Day, he talked a lot about uh, different chemistries and and on and on and uh, and the tabless part. Well, now we're finding out that the three main chemistry uh, alterations that were made to the 4680 um, looks like they came from Spring Power, a small company in Mississauga. Um, and they sold it to Elon, or sorry, to Tesla for $3. Okay, so $3 doesn't sound like a heck of a lot, but there's sometimes a lot that goes in back of buying um, uh, a couple, three patents. And I'm sure that I'm sure that um, he's a good engineer, but I'm also certain that he does uh, a better job at business than most of the people that I bump into. And so eventually, I'm sure we'll find out what exactly happened there. But um, but it isn't going to be coming anytime soon. But when it comes to uh, when it comes to the details associated with chemistry and whatnot. No question in my mind, he knows uh, he knows what he's talking about, and um, and there's no question in my mind that he doesn't get involved in some of these details like buying spring power. Mm-hmm. Um, how unique is it that a CEO of an eighty thousand person company is deeply involved in the engineering details? Like in a typical OEM, like. A CEO, like how many, how many levels removed are they from the engineering details of a car? Okay. So when I was at Ford Motor Company and I came in, I was a grade six engineer. Okay. Um, I moved up to a grade seven um, because uh, I invented something. I moved to a grade eight when I went to engine division staff. I became a grade nine when I moved up to something else. Um, I was an 11. Then I was a third. I was going to be a thirteen, and then there was a little issue with. Uh, well, it was a big long story, but in essence, I never got to the thirteen. I I left the company. <clears throat> okay, so thirteen is the first level of executive role. Okay, first level of executive role. So I was a supervisor role, management role, and now it's going to go into thirteen, which is the E role. So from thirteen. So 24, 24 is the CEO. That's how much goes on in, in, in between, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, There's a lot of things that go on there. To get to those loftier kinds of positions, um, you have to be in, in something called fast track. 
And that's where you spend about a month here and there, and they they picked you based on um, maybe what you did in school or maybe the job that you had prior to coming to Ford or whatever. And then you go on to fast track and you're sometimes a month, sometimes six months, but not very long, not long enough to grasp all the stuff that's going on. On top of that, they want you to have an MBA on top of whatever degree you have. And so there's a there's an executive MBA that uh, that uh, Ford has, and you get that on top of it. So you're getting an MBA, you're being pushed from one place to the next, and you're being, you know, and you're moving up. So there's not much time for you to really get depth in pretty much anything. Um, when you bump into when I was at I've, I've been at many, many companies and talked to CEOs and, and presidents and things like that. Almost, I have never, ever, never, except for Toyota, except for um, uh, Toyota, I have never talked to a CEO that had any knowledge of what was going on at the engineering level or at the uh, manufacturing level. None of that stuff, because that's that's not part of their daily job. And... Um, uh, Elon Musk is unique, totally unique in that aspect. There's nobody I've been bumped into that has his depth of knowledge throughout the whole company. No one. So if, I mean, if most OEM CEOs don't have much engineering, you know, knowledge or manufacturing, like detailed knowledge, what, what is their knowledge? Like what is their, what are they focused on every day, you think? I don't know. <laughs> I never got that high, but um, but my guess is that it's mostly um, trying to control people or uh, trying to control situations. I think that um, I think that even even strategically, that work is done by other people. So um, I know that when I was uh, when I was still at Ford, uh, my job was to basically keep my uh, director um, informed. And so I had a boss, but he was next to worthless. So I would work directly with a guy named Jim Kanas, and he was a very, very smart guy, but he knew nothing about what I was working on. So he was in charge of artificial intelligence. He was in charge of expert systems, which I was in charge of, um, and a couple of other things. And um, technical industrial controls is what it was called. So. Our job was to make sure that Jim, when he walked into a room, knew what, knew what to say about what things. So he would, you know, uh, if he was asked anything, he would flip through his pages and he'd, he'd basically read what we wrote for him. That's, that's kind of like uh, what his job was. And he was at a director level, not an executive level, and certainly not at a VP level, and definitely not, um, you know, at a president level. But my guess is that um, he get the normally people would get a briefing on on what's going on. It's just like the the president of the United States doesn't know, you know, if um, if one of the uh, buck privates <clears throat> was unhappy with his uh, with his assignment cleaning latrines. They they get the information that they think is is needed by people who uh, work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens? Do you think if Tesla is without Elon Musk, um, like how soon does does the impact show up? Is it? I mean, is Tesla going to be fine for let's say five years, or you know, or do you think the culture has been set enough 
where they're going to be engineering driven, you know, company for many, many years? Or do you think that Elon still is kind of the glue that holds together that engineering focus and excellence? I think that Elon Musk has picked um, his people wisely. And he has quite a number of people underneath him that um, that um, have deep engineering backgrounds. Now, if you want to find out what happens if uh, the board of directors does something incredibly stupid, look at Apple. Look at Steve Jobs. Hey, get rid of that guy. We don't need this stuff. We're going to show you how to make money, right? They picked a bunch of folks that uh, that mm, I don't know what their backgrounds were, but they were mostly finance. Instead of looking at the future is only going to be the future as long as you have good technical depth. And they thought, hey, can't we just buy this cheaper? And unfortunately, that can't we just buy that cheaper? That's what puts companies out of business. I think Elon Musk learned a lot from Apple. And so what he did was he picked his board. And on top of that, um, he picked the, the people that he wants to have in charge. And those people are wicked smart and they're highly technical. He, uh, one of the other things we talked about that uh, we have in common is um, I'm not a really big fan of HR. Um, I, um, I've always looked at them as uh, people who, you know, they pick up your resume, they read it. Oh, oh, you went to Harvard. Oh, 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 here, oh, look at that. Oh, okay, but that means nothing um, in, the, um, in the big scheme of things. Elon Musk said that um, one of the things he's the most frightened of is that somebody's going to walk in the door with the exact experience or the exact talents that he's looking for. But because they don't have that sheepskin or because they don't have, you know, the glowing stuff that an HR person would look at, he'll miss the boat. But I think that um, I think that he takes I think he even has. um a hand in how things are done in HR. And and I'll tell you, the Japanese companies, uh, Japanese and Korean com- companies, they look at people as the real commodity in, the, in their success. Um, and other people that are professional HR people, they look at things as, um, well, what school did you go to? And, uh, you know, um, um, do you, uh, do you play, uh, you know, sports or what's your hobbies and interests? Elon Musk, uh, is not interested in that. And most of the people that I bumped into that are technically astute, uh, his executives or the executive that I met, um, these guys are deep, deep technology people and they have, um, they have a phenomenal grasp on the future. So if Elon Musk died, one of these guys would take over. Um, that person would probably control the board still, and they keep away the people who kill companies. I mean, what's that guy's name? Jack, um, Neutron Jack, I've forgotten his name. Anyway, there's a good example of what happens when you've got a cheapskate running a company. He started with GE, and they made everything, and they made tremendous amounts of money. They were a stock to always keep, and he turned them into what? I mean, when I when I was a kid, GE made everything from light bulbs to jet engines. Now what do they do? Pretty much nothing. Because he was getting a bonus. He was getting rewarded for getting rid of the company. You start putting 
stock aboard with that kind of person and you're going to see the end um, not too far down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get a couple of good quarters, but that'll be about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you about the Biden uh, EV tax incentive or tax rebate. It seems like, you know, that could be a huge um huge catalyst, a huge demand driver, if, you know, it could be an unlimited, uncapped, let's say for four or five years or something, $7,500 or so. Um, what's your take on, on this? Do you think that it will pass? Do you think it will have a big demand in boosting EV credits? Um, who do you think will be the big beneficiaries? Um, um, the, the tax credits or anything to do with the government I'm probably the last person in the world. I can't predict anything there. Um, I think that uh, what Biden has done is he's looked at everywhere else. China is giving tax credits. Japan is giving tax credits. Um, the biggest, uh, uh, the biggest push on the planet is Norway. And look what happened there. I mean, 70 or 80 percent of the cars sold are, 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 are EVs. Why? Because there's no sales tax on a on a on a car that's an ev and what are people buying well they're buying jags they're buying uh they're buying porsche and but they're really buying a lot of is um is tesla and polestar those are the two big ones one polestar is built you know right next door in sweden but i think that every country is doing it right now it makes sense that we should uh, jump on that bandwagon otherwise we're going to be left behind but the big problem hasn't got to do with tax credits what are we going to do? When we, how are we going to get batteries? Because in essence, um, the country is left behind, completely left behind on uh, battery technology or battery manufacturing technology. We got in a plenty. We don't. I mean, we're we're not building batteries here. Everybody relied on China to supply us with whatever we needed, and now we're now now that's going to that is the bottleneck is batteries. Mm-hmm. I mean, with Tesla's, you know big jump into 4680 cells, you know, the whole battery day presentation. I mean, is that going to solve the issue, do you think? Do you think Tesla will be able to become the dominant, you know, battery producer in the world in the next several years? They're they're not. um, um, I think Cattell and BYD have got bigger market share right now. But if um, if everything goes according to Elon's plan, um, if he's not the biggest, he'll be he'll definitely be one of the biggest contenders. But he needs these batteries for his own product right now. I mean, he's not interested in selling anything to uh, anybody. He needs every battery he can get his hands on. So um, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that. Um, OK, so the Cato plan is is up and running, cranking out the uh, 4680. Nothing else is. Everything else is being constructed. So I'm pretty sure, though, that uh, once that happens, he's going to be centering his attention on that because the only other contender would be uh, QuantumScape or somebody that's producing a real viable, um, and QuantumScape's not producing anything right now. But one of these, uh, one of these, and you know what? We've got to stop talking about solid state. There's no such thing, and there never will be. We have to talk about semi-solid state. So, so QuantumScape has got a lithium, a solid lithium bar, and then they've got a separator, and then they've got their, um, uh, um, their, um, 
I think it's the cathode um, that's uh, that's got a liquid electrolyte in it, and that's that works. Okay, I don't have dendrites. It'll be quick to charge on and on and on. It'll last for forever. Okay, that's that's what that's what QuantumScape has got. Um, to say it's solid state, you know, I'm going to have a bar of this and a separator and a bar of that. That ain't happening. Everybody that knows anything about chemistry knows that that just won't work. There's no way. There has to be some kind of um, some sort of um, electrolyte. I don't care what you want to call it, but you have to have something there that's that's going to make um, make the electrons flow. And with that, uh, with what I saw anyway, with that uh, that separator made out of uh, ceramic, um, that's the, that looks to me to be the ticket. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, we'll have to see about the others. And there are other, there are, I mean, Blue has got, um, they've got a semi-solid, si, si, uh, sorry, they've got a solid state, bat, um, yeah, solid state battery. The problem there is that I got to go to, um, I got to go to 180 degrees Celsius to, uh, or sorry, 180 degrees of, of Fahrenheit to, uh, to make that work. Um, I don't want to make heat. That's not good. Mm-hmm. But that's how they're making it work. You can either use heat or you can use some sort of a fluid. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I got uh, I got a lot of questions of people asking about QuantumScape because you just interviewed their CEO. Um, were you less bullish or more bullish after the interview you had with their CEO? Mm, you know, I I've, lately I've been bumping into people that are kind of similar. I I talked with um, Elon Musk. And I talked to some other CEOs of different companies like JR from from uh, Rivian and whatnot. And then I talked to uh, um, um, Jake Deep, and I they all have something in common. They're humble. You, you can't believe how many CEOs I've talked to that are so arrogant. I mean, you, you can't wait to get the heck out of the room. And um, and not only was Jake Deep humble, there was only about three or four minutes taken out of that, that present, that, that interview. There, there was virtually nothing. He answered everything off the top of his head. And some of the questions were kind of difficult. Plus, um, he had, he said, well, we've got a new, uh, PowerPoint, um, uh, that we're going to be releasing to the general population. And he popped it up there and he went through every stinking slide every one of them and i doubt very much if that's ever going to be released to the general public but he wanted me to know what was going on and every every one of them he knew everything about the chemistry the uh, the process um the suppliers the on and on and on and then i went into their lab and uh i guess they don't let too many people in there there's no real reason to put in a reporter what is he going to look at nothing so I went through the lab. I saw everything about it, and um, it's definitely the best lab that I've seen for solid-state battery investigation and whatnot. And so, for me, mm, I was solidly. Uh, that's it. Oh no, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm not going to do it. I was. Uh, I was very impressed. How's that? Got it. <laughs> that's awesome. Day. I can't, uh, I don't want to 
<laughs> ruin my reputation <laughs> for you as well. So there you go. Got it. But, um, um, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Um, I'm curious with the 4680 cells. So we have the Cato Road, you know, pilot factory, one production line, you know, trying to refine this process. What do you think the, is the plan to supply Austin and Berlin with 4680 cells? Do you think they're going to come from Cato or are they going to come from other other suppliers in the meantime? Or does Tesla have to wait to build, you know, the, the batteries on site, which it seems like it's going to take a while. So what are your thoughts? Um, batteries on site is probably what he's shooting for. Um, he's probably got some limp along process in between, but as you know, he went back to Panasonic and, uh, I don't know what they kissed and made up or something like that, but, uh, they're going to be making, uh, making those batteries. And it's much, much faster to convert a battery plant than it is to build and install all the equipment for a battery plant. And, uh, I think that, um, I think that that's probably what's going to happen. He's going to get friends to help him, and um, and I think their big friend is uh, Panasonic. It's been that way for a long time. Elon strikes me as a kind of a guy that, um, you know, if you're his buddy, you're, you're his buddy forever until you, you know, make a some sort of a stupid mistake or something. I think uh, I think that uh, I think that Panasonic will be probably cranking stuff out for him, and I mean, that will mean. He'll be up and running a lot faster than everybody else. I mean, do you think uh, Panasonic will make the batteries like on site then in Berlin and Austin? Like, I mean, I guess the the question is like the first six months or so, you know, like where when Tesla might not have had time to put you know their battery lines in Austin or Berlin. Do you think Panasonic or like they will be yeah. able to supply the forty six eighty cells? Do you think they'll be from Japan or where where will they be from? Probably they'll probably come out of Japan. I'm pretty sure that they won't they won't want to ship that technology to China or anywhere else for that matter. And like I said, it's easy to convert a plant if you've got all the equipment there, and all I have to do is change the uh, the diameter of the pucks that, that that take these things in for for processing, or the spin up technology for actually make or uh, actually wrapping the battery is changed a little bit. No big wow. I can do that in a heartbeat. Changing the chemicals, you have to you have to clean everything periodically anyway. So, pumping out the uh, the the old chemicals, putting in the new chemicals, or actually, I wouldn't even do that. I would just take all the um, all the hoppers and canisters out, put new ones in. In fact, I'd probably even change the lines because at, at the end of the day, all high speed equipment is the same. It's it's just the same. Now all I've got to do is I have to change the the wrappers. I have to change the I have to change the um, you know the the two basic ingredients for the anode and cathode, um, and then I I push the button and away it goes. So it's where where if you're putting up a new factory, it might take two years to recondition a factory. It might take two months. Why would I waste my time doing anything uh, you know extraordinary? And then. Um, Panasonic isn't going to have to go through a myriad of, um, of um, um, hoops because they've they, that fact those factories are already tested, validated. They have the complete uh, agreement of the government that they know what they're doing, and so that would be the fastest mm -hmm. route. And that's what I would take. Yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah. What um, what kind of cells do you think um, um, are the new Model S and Model X using? The new model S and X are still using 2170s, I think, with a different chemistry. 
Okay. I think the new chemistry from uh, Spring Power might be being used inside there. I don't think they went with tablets, but changing again, changing the chemistry on a battery is not as difficult as building a new a new factory. So I think um, I think that they probably are using this new chemistry in the 2170s, and um, and I, I'm pretty sure that they won't just do it for. Uh, I'm pretty sure they won't just do it for the. Um, um, uh, S and uh, S and X. I, why? Why would I? I would just convert everything and just start pumping it out mm-hmm. and pushing it into the Y and the three because they do things on the fly. I, I've used the term enough now that it's actually um, it's actually being used by other people. But Tesla moves at the speed of thought. Everybody else like a snail. So that's kind of like why they're ahead of the game. They move fast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm curious with the structural battery pack. So, you know, it seems like this was one of the big points of Battery Day, um, creating, yeah. you know, a battery pack out of the, the stru- main structure of the of the car. Um, a few questions on this. Like, how many years do you think it'll take before other OEMs end up copying this and put a structural battery pack? Or is it even possible that they actually do this? And then the second question is, what kind of advantage, you know, does this really give Tesla? Like, what is that key kind of, you know, thing that really, does it change the game? I guess that's the question. Yeah. Okay. So sitting on my floor right now outside and sitting there for somewhere between 13 to 15 years is a lower platform. So... Uh, basically what people might call a skateboard. It's been sitting there for 13 to 15 years. It's three castings. Thousands, thousands, literally thousands of engineers have walked by. I pointed it out to them. I said, hey, you know what? Have you ever thought of doing this? This is a great idea. Turned it down. In fact, most of them, if I go back and I say, remember when I told you about that 15 years ago? Oh, no, you didn't tell me. Oh, I would have jumped on that. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't because when the expectations don't match the results, people physiologically cannot see the data. Okay? Now, that's, that's what happens when, when you have firmly held convictions. When you talk to somebody who's been a body guy all his life, he'll tell you two things. One... The only way to build a car is with a bunch of a whole bunch of little pieces and you weld them together. And two, oh, you don't understand. You never want to have um, you never want to have body on frame. That's too expensive. Well, let's talk about your one question. Um, eliminating the um, like turning three castings into the whole lower platform. You've just eliminated thousands of parts and operations. Thousands. That's not an exaggeration. That's not a metaphor. Thousands of operations have just vanished. Thousands of parts and operations. If you if you think about it, what did that thing turn into? Well, it's a frame. Anytime somebody says, oh, this is a skateboard, that means they're trying to pull your chain. Okay? It's not a skateboard. It's a frame. And by putting the batteries into the center of that frame, You've just eliminated thousands and thousands of st- 
stupid things that can go wrong. And I think that, quite frankly, we're probably looking at just by taking those three castings, filling the center one up with batteries, and then somehow putting it together. There's a lot of different versions on how you could do that. You could weld it. You could bolt it. You could bolt it and weld it. It could be pinned. It could be glued. There's all kinds of things that can make it happen. But at the end of the day, what you're looking at is the elimination of about one-third of the of the uh, the whole fabrication part of the vehicle one third that's a lot of money robots square footage and um and quite frankly issues because that thing that that great big giant three piece casting has now produced something that's rigid and uh will give you a perfect build and a perfect build is not what you get when you weld a whole bunch of bits and pieces together. You can't you can't get it. And that's why Elon ran into his production hell and whatnot. He thought it was a piece of cake. It's not. It's very difficult to do. The the older OEMs have uh, have perfected how to get around that problem, but we're looking at um, a revolutionary change. So. Um, I don't think I'm going to see any engineers running out to do that. And the reason for that is because they'd rather die than switch. And that's a fact. They'd rather put the company out of business than switch to something that looks as radically different as that because it'll wreck their career. There's always two things you think about when you're thinking, uh, if you're an engineer, car career. If it's good for the car and it's good for my career, it's an easy path. If it's good for the car but bad for my career, that's an easy path too. If it's good for my career and bad for the car, also an easy path. You can tell right away what kind of engineer you've got by watching that engineer make a decision, the car career decision. And we hire people who either had success with saying that this is good for the car and it's good for my career, and they succeeded. And the other guys that we hire are the guys that say, this is good for the car, but bad for my career, but I'm doing it anyway. And that's the guy I want, mm. or gal I want. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned like one-third, I mean, saving one-third. Is it the entire process? Are you talking about like, you know, um, by having, you know, the structural battery pack in the front and rear piece castings, are we talking about one third less, I guess, time and less machines, less operations? No, like a lot less time. Uh, so um, I'm talking about the stamping plant, um, the machines that are inside the stamping plant. Those uh, big stamping machines are huge. Uh, they're they're bigger than you can possibly believe. Um, and then you've got dies inside of them that create parts. And then you've got robots that pick the parts out and put them onto conveyors, and there's a lot of those. And then you've got shipping racks that take the parts after it's been stamped and put them into these racks. And then you've got tugs, and you've got uh, people that are running around with forklift trucks taking them from wherever they were stamped to wherever they need to be put together. I'm talking about a tremendous number of uh, body fixture uh, body fixtures clamps and uh, mechanisms that hold these things in place. And then I'm talking about <clears throat> robots that will move the parts into these fixtures. 
And then I'm talking about welding machines that will pinch weld them together. And then I'm talking about more robots that will take them out of those fixtures, <clears throat> put them onto conveyors, and then the conveyors will take them to the, like the body assembly area and picking them up and putting them in place for final welding. These things, people, unless you've actually been through a body shop, it's hard to comprehend. And by the way, most of the stamping is done off, offline. Nobody wants to have that noise continuously pounding out parts, um, especially the bigger ones. So they come from different suppliers. So when you're looking at this, you're not just looking at what's going on in this one little area. You're looking at, in some cases, a thousand miles of travel to get from where that supplier is to where it's, uh, that part's actually going to be used. It's amazing how, uh, how this infrastructure works. And all the incidences that can happen in between that could bend apart, which makes it impossible to use when you put it into the, into the welding, uh, the welding box. Now, when you, um, when you're looking at all of this stuff going on, you say, well, well, what about, uh, what about the amount of time? It's ponderous how much time there is for stamping all these bits out. The, um, the, the, the molds, that uh, that Elon Musk is using for the mega castings or giga castings, whatever they're calling them now, they fill up in uh, in uh, milliseconds. Okay, so there's a thousand milliseconds inside of one second, and we're looking at these things filling up in less than one second. That's that's pretty fast. Now, it has to sit there for a little bit to cool down, but um, it doesn't take that long. And when the mold opens and that part is pulled out, there's a few few uh, um, sprues and runners that have to be knocked off. And there's a couple of points that they want to have machined, and you're done. It's wicked fast, comparatively speaking, to all of the other operations that are going on. And when you talk about how much labor is involved, it's virtually none. There are hundreds of people that do things uh, to make the platform proper. If you're, if you're looking at a normal plant and you're going to have very, very few people when you're looking at a plant that uses the uh, mega or mega or giga uh, uh, casting. Um, so, okay. So, Help me go through this. So you have, you know, the front piece, the rear piece, single piece casting along with the, the middle part for, for the, where the batteries go. And you somehow stick all of them together, whether it be bolt, bolts or glue or welding or something. Whatever, yeah. And um, what else is needed to get your body in white before it goes into the paint shop? The top hat. So um, the top hat will probably remain the way it is. Um, you could wind up with some people going in the direction that uh, the BMW i3 did, where you make the uh, you make a um, you know a safety module where the people are. You make that safety module and you just glue that to the uh, to the bottom part of the to the whatever you want to call it skateboard or rolling chassis. Um, that would be pretty much it. Um, it would be either conventional, where you take the uh, the sheet metal. And then you'd attach it. Uh, it depends on what they make the uh, make the rest of the body out of. It's made out of uh, composite. I mean, you'd glue it if you um, 
glue it with uh, maybe Henrob self-piercing rivets. Uh, if it's um, if it's uh, steel, then you'd you'd be using an adhesive that was also acting as a boundary layer. Same thing, same sort of attachment. So, um, and if it's made out of aluminum, aluminum to aluminum, they like each other normally. So it could be um, again adhesive and uh, and self-piercing rivets that mm-hmm. would hold it together. Um, I mean, recently Elon, I think he tweeted something about how Tesla was eventually going to make cars kind of like how Hot Wheels makes their cars. Like, yeah. what does he mean by that? That's the whole bottom end of the car. You can't make a, I can't make um, anything flow thin enough um, so I could make the whole car out of a Hot Wheel. But I can make everything from the top hat down. And that's what he's done. So there may be another op- opportunity for him. And that would be to do the body inner so that's the stuff you can't see. Um, sometimes that's called the body in black because it's dark. I mean, it's, and so if he wanted to do that, then what he could do is um, he could make a space frame that would be shot in a, in a mold similar to what he's got right now. And that would give you um, the shotguns, the A pillar, the B pillar, C and D pillars, um, and, um, and basically the, uh, the, the roof structure shoot that all in one and then pop that out. And then you'd take that down to the, um, to the rolling chassis and that would be made out of aluminum. So that would be adhesively bonded along with, uh, with something that would hold it in place. You could weld that if you wanted to aluminum welding, a TIG welding. And, um, and then that would be the whole structure for the whole car. And then you'd, I, I'm guessing at that point I would not use sheet metal. I would just uh, snap plastic panels on. And that's precisely what uh, the BMW i3 did. All those panels just snap in place. They're made out of plastic. Nice and light and easy. Gives you a good fit. And if you do get into an accident or something like that, so what if a, if a fender or a quarter panel pops up, you just tag a new one on, snap it in, and away you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so... How does this look like practically in terms of, um, so I, I think at battery date, you know, Tesla was saying 10% mass reduction, 14% range increased opportunity and 370 fewer parts for the, you know, um, the structural battery pack and the, the front and rear piece castings. Um, right. What does this mean in terms of like, will Tesla be able to make cars for che- like cheaper? And if so, is it just a little bit cheaper or is this actually going to be some significant savings? Like, are we talking about just a few percent margin savings? Are we talking about more than that in terms of, you you think, overall costs? Mm. I believe that the the cars could be made cheaper, but um, Elon's still supposed to be making money for shareholders. Whether he passes that number along to the buying public, uh, that's a that's a. That's a factor. Sorry, that's a company decision that would be made by a bunch of people smarter than I am. Um, but I'm positive that uh, I can make it in less time with less people and less investment. I know that for sure. The um, the casting will cost more than the sheet metal that uh, that you had before. So there's a material cost disadvantage, just pound for pound. But um, the advantage for um, with labor reduction and stuff like that, I think that's going to offset uh, that uh, that extra cost. Mm-hmm. So it could be a wash. 
I'm thinking. But at the end of the day, what we're really looking at is not uh, not just uh, reduction in cost, but what have I done to ensure higher quality? What have I done to make it more rigid, uh, rigid uh, product? Uh, what have I done to decrease the amount of costs associated with investments in machine tools? Idris presses are not cheap, but when you compare them to, uh, you know, one of the, uh, like a Mitsubishi uh, uh, press or something like that to crank out a, uh, uh, a body, or you're, you're, looking at, uh, you're looking at a huge expense there. The, the molds that they're using and the dyes that I would use inside of a, inside of a, uh, inside of a stamping plant, uh, there's no comparison. The, uh, uh, when you add up all those little bits and pieces and all those dyes and whatnot, uh, you're looking at uh, a mold that'll easily be cheaper than all those other bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And then we haven't even talked about how I have to put them together. All the robots, all mm-hmm. the body bucks, all the transporting of parts from here to there. So I think that in the worst case scenario, it would be a wash. But I'm pretty sure that there's uh, there's probably uh, there's probably enough savings there that uh, that it would be cheaper to do the the, two, the three castings, and that's why I recommended it to uh, customers and potential customers. That's why, like I say, it's been on the floor for, for at least 13 years. We've ar- argued in here. Mm-hmm. I think it's 15, but. <clears throat> Some people are pretty sure it was thirteen years mm-hmm. sitting on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, if you okay, so if you did just a, a swap of you know let's say um, the structural battery pack and the the front and rear piece castings, like how much does that add to range? So I mean, is it you know does the weight is it because of the reduction in, in weight or mass that it allows for a range increase and in, like what percent range increase do you anticipate? Um. I, I can't really uh, comment on that because I don't have enough data, but I can tell you that um, when I work with uh, the guys in uh, Korea, Japan, and China, because mostly uh, I was working on cars out, outside of the country, and um, uh, when I teach the classes on how to design vehicles and stuff like that, um, I have a rule. Every engineer, one gram every day. That's how important. That's how important um, uh, the uh, the reduction in weight is, as far as I'm concerned. Weight is one of the is one of the biggest drawbacks to an electric vehicle. Weight really hurts. So getting rid of a gram a day from every engineer that would work. Uh, that would work really well. Now, when we look at what Tesla's done with the weight reduction there, my guess is that they've probably given themselves about and this is a guess, I would say between six and eight points per- percent more range. So mm-hmm. six or eight points for sure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, why not just a, a single piece casting for the entire you know, front and rear and, and middle section? I mean, is that necessary? Or, I mean, nobody's, got a, nobody's got a press big enough. They, the, the biggest press on the planet, the biggest presses on the planet now all belong to Tesla. And uh, there's 12 more of them that are be coming out from Hydra. The rest of the press companies can't do that. Uh, there's one in China uh, that manufactures a press that's similar to Hydra. And there's one in Sweden that, that cranks these things out. Um, and the one in Sweden is about uh, three to five 
No. Three or four thousand tons smaller. And when you're talking of thousands of tons, that's a big ass footprint. That's a huge uh, amount of uh, amount of material. And getting from where you are at those types of sizes to where Hydra is, that takes years and years of uh, of testing and validation. Because if you allow these things to blow up or miss cycle, you can you can eliminate the uh, the whole damn factory. These are these things are the stuff that's going on there is wicked hot under huge amounts of pressure. You don't um, you don't fool around with this. Got it. Uh, um, I mean, do you anticipate at some point, in, at some day, that there will be a single machine that does a single casting for the entire kind of frame? Mm, probably not in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But then again, there's a lot of stuff that's <laughs> happened in the last five years. It is uh, just well, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. I, I get amazed every day. I, I mean that sincerely. There's new stuff coming in every day. Um, I never thought I would say it, but um, one of the things that I'm looking at right now is um, is hydrogen, solid state hydrogen. So instead of having a big bottle full of hydrogen inside of it, how about I give you a disc about this big and um, and a laser beam hits it and hydrogen comes out. Uh, right now, um, that's, that's a possibility, and not a possibility, it's been done. It was held back by the U.S. government for the last 10 years, but um, one of the good things that Trump did was uh, he released these people from, uh, from the clutches of the uh, uh, Department of Energy because they were, they were nervous about this. And now, uh, Volvo and, um, and uh, well, I, I can't really talk too much about that. So, but now there's truck companies that are, that are looking seriously at uh, what's going on with um, uh, with this technology because batteries mm, batteries in big trucks not so much I'm not a fan of the Tesla uh, the Tesla truck with big batteries because I know when I was when I was at Ford we still made Class A trucks and um, they they want to haul they want to haul things that are going to make them money they don't want to haul uh, batteries. Okay. Anything, if they could find a light engine that would last a million miles, they'd be in. Um, if I have a uh, fuel cell and I can, I can have these, uh, these discs, which weigh next to nothing. And I just have to laser out the, uh, the hydrogen and put it into a containerized system situation where I could use them inside of a fuel cell, or actually I can run, I, I could run a, um, uh, an internal combustion engine on hydrogen. And all that comes out the tailpipe is water. I mean, why not? I'll take that all day long too. There's, and that would make things even lighter than if I was using diesel fuel. And I could go farther. I could make them go farther. There's a lot of advantages to that system. If I would have been asked about this or told about this, even even two or three years ago, I would have said baloney. That I, but I mean, again. Every day, there's uh, there's new stuff coming on the marketplace, and uh, I think that uh, the people who keep an open mind and um, and jump on these opportunities are the ones that are going to win. And the I have another expression: that it's um, in times of change, the learners will adapt and succeed, and the learned will be beautifully equipped 
for a world that no longer exists. And uh, there's a lot of learned folks that are around. People think they're just old people, but that's not true. It's um, There's a lot of people that have been um, brainwashed into thinking there's only one way of getting the job done, and uh, they know it, and that's the way it's going to be. Those are the learned uh, folks, and um, the more they're into that mode, the more likelihood that they're going to wind up in second place in the next coming years. Yeah. Got it. Um, Cybertruck. Um, so a lot of questions on this. Um, yeah. We know that, you know, Tesla released this stellar, you know, stainless steel design. They need to fold metal. How challenging do you think that's going to be for them to learn this entirely kind of new production process? Do you anticipate? Oh, it's not new. I mean, well, this is not for, for Tesla to learn it at least to, you know, incorporate to mass, to ramp, you know, cyber truck production. Do you think, yeah. I guess the question is, is it going to be relatively straightforward, do you think, or do you think there are going to be some challenges and delays in terms of how they ramp? Delays would be bad, okay, because Monroe has five on order. Five. <laughs> Does that tell you what I think? <laughs> I, um, Wait, why, why do you guys I have drive? five? Uh, because we want them. <laughs> um, when they came out, we, we knew that it was going to be coming out. We were in the first, I don't know, 15 minutes. We had mm -hmm. five of them ordered. Got it. Um, and um, one of them is mine because I have a Jeep. I've driven Jeep uh, Wranglers forever. And, um, and I have a Rubicon with um, dents and scratches and rust sitting right outside. And I like going off-roading. I don't have much of anything else going on in my life. I like to go off-roading. I'm a hunter. I like to go hunting. Uh, but lately, it's been kind of a drag because um, I don't like getting up at the crack of dawn to put on all this uh, hunting paraphernalia and then walk, you know, uh, basically at least a mile to get to some place where the deer might be. And then sitting there in a the cold, thinking, uh, I hope a deer shows up pretty soon. And when the deer does show up, it basically hides behind a tree and sticks its tongue out at you. Okay, so that's kind of like the old-fashioned hunting. The new hunting for me is going to be, I get into, I put all my stuff into the back of the Tesla Cybertruck. I, um, I have it fully charged, and I go zipping out into the, uh, into the forest. I go where my old, I run over the blind. In fact, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to crush that blind, run right over it, and just sit right there. And then I'm going to uh, uh, turn on a microwave or whatever I can plug in. I will uh, cook a TV dinner. I'll uh, go to bed, and I'll be warm inside my little truck. And in the morning, I will get out of the truck, and I will... Um, I will actually, I can't run over the blind because I have to go to the blind. I'll get in a blind, and if I want a cup of coffee, I will get out of the blind, go to my Cybertruck, pour, uh, pour coffee out of uh, one of those little uh, Keurig things, and uh, go back and, and wait, for the, wait for the deer to show up. And I'm telling you what, that is what I'm looking forward to. No noise, convenient up the, up the wazoo. There's nothing going to get in my way that I can't uh, that I can't um, drive out to, or you know, I'm not worried about snow. I'm not worried about mud. I'm not worried about anything. I can't do that with my 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 Wrangler. I just can't do it. I've tried. It doesn't work. You leave the engine on. You smell everything. The the deer won't come anywhere near you. 
This doesn't have, it doesn't smell like that. If it smells like anything, it's going to smell like um, after a rain uh, storm, like the ozone kind of stuff. That's about it. And that doesn't happen either. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about the Tesla Cybertruck coming down the pike, as is a whole bunch of other people that are in the hunt, as it were, or, or hunters. It's, um, it's definitely not um, going to compete with um, the Rivian because um, we have five of those on orders as well. I don't have one of those. But, uh, but the guys here that, that drive pickup trucks, they, they can't wait to get them. In fact, one guy out in uh, Phoenix, uh, we had a – I don't want to get into it. I, got, I can't talk about that. Not to you guys anyways. But anyway, um, we were brought in to do stuff for um, uh, an investor and, um, and in, uh, uh, our guy, Chris Ferlin, out in, uh, out in uh, Phoenix. He got a chance to drive this thing, came back in, closed the door, said, uh, can I get on your list? Yep, I want one of these things. I'll sell my Trailhawk and buy one. of. Them. So it's very compelling for a lot of people who are engineers. I, I like to think that our guys are enlightened engineers. Um, there's a lot of people got engineers in their staff and whatnot. We, we search around for people who are enlightened that are interested in the future and are not stuck in the same old way of doing things and don't care whether they're working on um, a cyber truck or, uh, or a, uh, or a rocket to the moon. I want guys just like Elon, uh, Elon Musk is hiring. That's what I hire here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of like uh, delays or challenges for Cybertruck production, are you kind of pretty optimistic that they'll, they'll, it'll be pretty smooth? Um, I am because, uh, like I say, I know that um, an exoskeleton um, product is going to be easier to produce than one that's uh, stamped and has, um, has ribs and stuff like that because I designed an aircraft, an airplane, that um, uh, that had an exoskeleton, and we found that we could reduce the cost by the labor went down by 90%, um, and the cost dropped by 45% when we went to that uh, that different design or that different style of design. Do you, I mean, do you think um, Tesla can extend that exoskeleton design for like a cheaper, let's say, $25,000 car? Um, or do you think it's just not going to meet the tastes of people mass market wise? Okay. So, uh, the cyber truck is polarizing. Um, you either like it or hate it. There's nothing in between. There's some people, I, I never hear I'm warming up to it. That isn't going to happen. So when, uh, when that thing came rolling out, like I missed it at, at night, the other guys were doing it. I was kind of jet lag or something. I can't remember, but anyway, I didn't see it. And they, they brought me in. They said, here's uh, here's the truck you just bought. And uh, I said, okay, fine. And they turned it on, and I watched it on the big screen over there. And uh, that thing came rolling out, and I said, I love it. I absolutely love this. And it drove around a little bit, you know, so that you could see every angle. This is perfect. If you uh, love it, it's going to be love at first sight. And if you hate it, you'll hate it forever right from the very first look. And I, I think that having a car like that is way too dangerous. I would not, I would not build a car that, uh, that had that edgy look. Um, because quite frankly, you're going to, you have to appeal to what you have to appeal to a market and a, an inexpensive car, um, is not going to look like 
a fiber truck. It won't have those edges. Uh, it wouldn't be that. Most people like to buy um, 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 I'm not sure if this is politically correct anymore, but most people would prefer to buy a female product. A female product means that it's got rounded edges and stuff like that. To have square edges and whatnot, that's um, that's a Jeep Wrangler. And um, um, that that appeals to some people, but not everyone. Mm-hmm. Not many people would, would go with a Jeep Wrangler. They don't they don't want it. Mm-hmm. It's too it's too boxy. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you think Tesla will have to make or will make a more traditional looking pickup truck in the future as well to appeal to different segments, or do you think the Cybertruck itself is just good enough for the entire pickup uh, industry? Well, no, it's not a pickup truck. It's not the it's not the right configuration. But they could turn the Cybertruck into a pickup truck if they wanted to. Um, but uh, I don't uh, I don't know. I think having uh, something that could be like a sport truck, that thing's like geared toward somebody like myself that uh, that would like to um, like to take it to go hunting or fishing or definitely when you go off road on this, I could I could camp in it. I mean, to me, it's brilliant. It's it's perfect. I doubt very much if my wife will be enthusiastic about it as 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 enthusiastic about it as I am. However, she does like the Tesla Model 3. We have one, actually the one we crossed the country in, we still have that here and she's, she likes that a lot. Cool. Um, I wanna talk about uh, some of the competition. So Lucid Motors, um, they are claiming to be the most efficient EV, um, the most efficient motors, powertrain, et cetera, over 500 miles on their uh, top of the line car. Um, do you believe that? Um, are you skeptical or what's your take on, on Lucid? Um, I only believe in one thing, data. And, um, Dr. Deming used to say, in God we trust, all others data. All others bring data. And I'm a kind of, uh, in the same mode. Show me the data. I'll take, I'll get a hold of one. We'll drive it around. We'll, uh, we'll make sure that, uh, that we do things in a fair way. And after we're done with that, we'll tear the car to pieces. And then I'll tell you everything you need to know. And like I say, we do reports uh, like this. So we've compared um, we compared uh, Tesla to um, the, uh, various different Teslas to the Bolt, the um, a whole bunch of different vehicles. And uh, Tesla keeps coming out as the best. They have uh, they have the in some cases the smallest battery pack, you know, at 75 uh, kilowatts, but they go farther than everybody else. At the end of the day, it's all about that. How far can you go with what they've given you? And um, I, I hear lots of people talk. When I get one and I have the data, you can bet your bum that I will be able to, um, I'll be able to tell you for sure who did what and whether or not they're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So. Got it. Um, Chinese EV makers, you have like Neo, Xpeng, Liado, others. Um, they seem to be, you know, aggressively pushing out their cars. Do you think Chinese yep. EV automakers are the top competition eventually, let's say five or 10 years down the road for Tesla? Um, first question. Second question is, can these Chinese automakers go global outside of China? Or is that going to be kind of more challenging? To they're already global. No, they're already global. Um, so we just did the, uh, we just did uh, analysis, a quick analysis on the Polestar 2. Um, right now, 
um, with the cars that we've assessed. Um, I would say that uh, the Tesla comes in one, two, three, four. Okay, that's that's for sure. Uh, number five, believe it or not, is the Mach-E. That comes in number five. Number six is the Polestar. And then I really, I would like to just stop at five, but um, but all the rest of them that we've looked at are no big wow. So the Polestar is who? Oh, that's Chinese, right? So at the end of the day, um, if Geely can come in and, um, and, and take over, and basically that's what they're doing. I mean, the Polestar and the Volvo brand are both owned by Geely. If they can come in and take over, who, who, who in their right mind is going to say, oh, no, no, that, that'll never happen? Only, only the LearnEd. Remember the LearnEd? Yeah, okay, I just talked about them. Here's something. You're you're a little young, but um, I remember the Japanese invasion. I remember Henry Ford II saying, oh, we're going to let the Japanese have the small car business because we can't make money out of them anyway. But they'll never understand luxury cars and pickup trucks. Right. Right. Yeah. Wrong. And that's what's going to happen here, too. Everybody's going to get a little smaller, and uh, the Chinese cars are going to come in in an invasion, and uh, the, um, the general population here will look at them and say, hey, these cars look fabulous. Hey, these things go for a long ways. Hey, I like this car. Hey, it drives good. And I've driven everything you mentioned and then some because my last trip to China was in basically November of uh, 2019, and, um, and I was negotiating contracts with several of the different Chinese car companies, all that stuff went uh, went uh, south when um, Trump, made, Trump made a bunch of edicts and then COVID and all this other stuff. So um, they went away, but I got a chance to drive all these vehicles, a lot of them anyway, and uh, they're damn good. And then you have to look at just the mere numbers, the, the scale in China. When I was there last time, I was supposed to be the keynote speaker, but uh, Chairman Xi came on, and I uh, can't believe it. He took my place. He, I'm going to be first. Oh, all right, fine. Go ahead. Ah, but it was like a video conference. And um, and he talked about the 650 car company, Chinese car companies out there, and he wanted them to get down to about 350, and then ultimately down to about 125. Okay, that sounds like a big drop, doesn't it? Hmm. How many car companies we got here? Two, right? That's it. Two, and um, and I think that um, if you look at Europe, um, the Europeans are going to get clobbered first, I'm sure. And a European buyer used to be, oh, I'm a Frenchman, so I'll drive a French car, or I'm a German and I'm going to drive a German car, and I'm English, I'm going to drive a Bentley. <laughs> that that's gone now because Bentley is owned by VW. And uh, Rolls-Royce is owned by BMW. And all the other little car companies have all been gobbled up. And they used to be, you know, local kind of stuff. But now it's only a few Germans that are the same. Everything else is pretty much gone into the international world. So I'm pretty sure that what we're going to be seeing here shortly is, um, is a fairly big invasion by the Chinese. And I would look for, like I say, Geely with, uh, with a Polestar. <laughs> 
I'd look for um I'd look for the um the guys like um like um uh Neo you've already mentioned but but BYD and um uh BJ EV uh, Beijing Automotive um uh, with their EVs I mean these are really really nice cars really nice and some of these people that are out there I mean they're claiming oh yeah yeah we're built it here in California they're still Chinese companies I don't care what you think or say they just they they're 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 making a beachhead faster than everybody else mm-hmm. so I think you're going to see a flood of things and I It'll be interesting to see what happens with some of the um, some of the local uh, car companies, how they're going to react to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely interesting. Um, what, what do you, I mean, it seems like, you know, the, the car market, but also the future autonomous transport market is huge. It could be trillions of dollars of value. It seems like big tech is also eyeing that. Um, what would be the challenges of big tech into getting into the auto market? Like, could they actually you know, manufacture their own cars? Like, what would be the, the challenges and obstacles they would have to overcome to become a legitimate player? There's a tremendous amount of money involved um, to get into that game. Elon Musk got in because he had so many loyal followers, and he was the first one in. So if you're the pioneer, you collect all, of, all the best land, um, uh, you know, and, and you claim it as your own. Everybody else is going to be searching for scraps if they if they aren't in the car industry already where i think big tech could be um really um make some money is if um if you look at the operating systems associated with android apple and you look at um in china huawei and you look at tesla's operating systems and a couple of others I see everybody's got their own operating system right now, and I see it boiling down to only the tech companies, including Tesla. And even Tesla better figure out who they're going to be their new best friend because they need to get into the same sort of um, uh, scenario as, as what, what Apple is, where you're looking at, um, you know, you're, you're gaining some of, the, uh, some of the aspects associated with your cell phone. Uh, but operating systems, that's where they could really shine. That and um, and maybe systems electronics. I can see a time down the road here where instead of having, um, you know, instead of uh, General Motors, say, buying their own um, um, ADAS system, they'll buy it off of Apple or they'll buy it off of Android or whomever because the amount of research and development and even just the access to the chips and whatnot, I mean... We still have people talking about inputs and, and outputs. That's been dead since the 80s. I mean, really? Are you kidding me? That that problem is uh, is uh, rampant inside of the um, the legacy manufacturers. They don't they don't really understand. Like this thing here, we've taken these things to pieces. We know exactly how they work. This this is really something. This I could run the whole damn car on this. I don't need anything else. And it's plenty reliable. Um, car companies don't—they don't quite get that. In fact, we're talking to one right now where they said, "Well, we want this, we want that, and whatnot." And they're looking at a box that's maybe—I um, don't know—about a half, uh, about 18 inches by um, a foot by maybe um, a couple of inches thick. And we're sitting there nodding our heads. Oh yeah, okay, good. Uh, 
uh, how about if it was like that size? What? Well, everything you asked for, we can put on a on, uh, a Nvidia chip, and uh, we don't we don't need that. all those other boxes and wires and stuff. I mean, it's all there. Well, wait a minute. What about the inputs and outputs? Yeah, this is too. No, we're not going to talk about that right now because I haven't got time, and I don't think you got the depth. And that's kind of like what it's going to boil down to. And so the progress that's made, been made with, uh, with cell phone technology and, and basically the thing that we're talking on is uh, Lenovo laptops and whatnot, these things, they can do an awful lot more than, than what, uh, what people think. This has got lots of technology in it that could, could turn into running the car. And by the way, you can make a whole lot more money selling electronics than you can selling a great big giant vehicle. And there's a whole lot less um, litigation and whatnot associated with them. So. Yeah, makes sense. Um, a Tesla van, like, you know, there's a Mercedes Sprinter market that's pretty big. Um, these vans are used in deliveries all the time. Yeah, I mean, do you think, mile. yeah, do you think Tesla can make a van? Do you think yeah. it will be like a stellar van? Is there anything holding them back? I, 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 I've never, uh, you know, I'm not, not on their board or anything. I'm, I'm just making guesses, but, uh, there's nothing holding them back. That's for sure. Just like, um, it's like there's nothing holding Rivian back and, um, and they're going to be showing up with vans. Um, I think probably what they need to do is just look at where's the money. Vans don't make as much money as, um, as a cyber truck will. Um, if you want to get into something where it's high volume and low profit, yeah, you could get into it. But personally, I think there's going to be a real run for uh, electric vans. But see, if you get into that business, you have to know you have to know one thing. Well, when is that fleet going to be revamped, right? Well, what goes bad on an electric van? Uh, brakes. Uh, Hmm. Maybe ball joints. Uh, gee, nothing else. How long is that van going to be around for? A million miles. Why do I want to get into that business? I mean, there's no return business. Why would I? Why would I? I mean, like I say, it's going to be really busy for three or four years. And then what? I mean, there'll be a couple of crashed vans. I'm sure uh, uh, one will go off the road or what have you, or maybe somebody plows into it and the van's off. But, but I mean, after the first sales, mm -hmm. it, it, they hang around forever. In fact, uh, I just, I just got sent something here a bit ago. I'm not sure whether it's an article or what have you, but, uh, but anyways, it says that, uh, this is, uh, from one of the bigger, um, EV magazines that, um, the Tesla, 4680 battery pack is uh, is good for life. Life? Is that 40 years or 90 years? How much is that? They're coming up. I haven't read the whole article. I read the first bit, and uh, and it sounds like, hey, you know what? Maybe that's true. Maybe the degradation is, uh, is not there anymore. And then you've got other guys um, like uh, Bill Gruber. I don't have his little thing in front of me. And he's fixing old Teslas. He's um, Bill's got this uh, this uh, uh, thing down in Texas where 
you drive your Tesla in and for anywhere from two to five grand, boom, you got your you got your battery pack back again. Something from I think sixty percent to uh eighty five, ninety percent. I mean if you if you go to Tesla, it's twenty two thousand dollars they pull out your old battery, put in a new one. Um that can get kind of stiff after a while. So if Bill can make that happen, I'll bet you that somebody else can as well. So I see I see businesses where the the van they buy today will be inherited by the great grandchildren of the guy that bought that van. I see him hanging around for a long time. So I don't know whether I'd want to get into that business. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, model two or not model two? So the twenty five thousand dollar Tesla. So we have hints that you know there's going to be a China designed you know, $25,000 car, but also hints that there could be a European designed, you know, $25,000 car. Like, do you think that's necessary to have like two separate versions, but also in the future, do you think model two will be a platform? Will there be several different types of cars on that platform? Um, usually when you design a platform, you design it for several different kinds of cars. The, the model three was the platform for the, the model Y. And now the Model Y is the platform for the Model 3. So uh, that's the kind of improvements that you're hoping to make. So I believe that um, if Tesla was going to make a last-mile delivery system or a pickup truck, it would be on that little tiny platform. And the reason that I'm thinking that is because I could use that as a pick. I could make a pickup truck, a two-seat pickup truck, or I could make um, you know, a two-seater little car to go here and there and whatnot. And after, when you drop the uh, the weight down to a certain point, um, then they become, they're not uh, auto cycles like a three-wheel vehicle, which really don't have much regulation at all. These have got some regulation, but because they're a lower speed and a lighter vehicle, they they fall into a different class. So you could probably make that work uh, without any problems with a Model 2 or whatever they're going to call it. Um, I think think that... um, as far as the first part of your question on, uh, you know, whether it should be designed in China or designed in Germany, <clears throat> if it's designed in Germany, it will have too many fasteners and it'll weigh too much. If it's designed in China, it, um, it'll definitely cost less, uh, but you'll have to probably make improvements when it gets to the U.S. because um, um, they, uh, they have a tendency to underdesign and the Germans overdesign. That's kind of like what I would say. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, have you thought about, like, for example, with RoboTaxi, let's say we're doing, they're doing autonomous deliveries of groceries or your packages or food. Um, yeah. How does last foot delivery work out, you think, in the future? I mean, how do you get from the RoboTaxi or, or delivery car or van to the person's porch? Um, yeah. Have you thought about that? Do you have any ideas or yes, insights? Yes, I've thought about it a lot. For last mile delivery, um, if I was Tesla, I would not waste my time on a van. I would be into um, I would be into VTOLs, uh, vertical takeoff and landing machines. I'd have no clue why anyone would would waste their time on a van um, when I could have um, uh, vertical machines dropping these packages off on people's front door or back porch. I, that's a better idea. I don't like the front door thing. I don't order anything ever. I'm not a I'm not a fan. Uh, leave it on the front porch, and then you know you look on TV. I don't watch much of that either. But but it seems like every time you turn around, 
there's uh, some clown running over grabbing somebody's packages off the porch and running away going, ha, 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 why isn't it go to the backyard? I can do that with a VTOL. I can drop it in the backyard. I don't need to uh, go into the backyard, especially if they've got a wolf or some damn huge dog or something in their backyard. Nobody's going to steal that. Um, they, they won't even try. So for me, uh, uh, having a pizza delivered by, uh, by a vertical takeoff works for me. It's going to show up hot. And that's for sure, because there's no traffic lights. There's no nothing. I think, uh, I think that, um, I think that, uh, if we don't move in that direction, um, uh, or if we move in that direction, a lot of, there's going to be a lot of unlucky, uh, unlucky folks, uh, making last mile, uh, delivery vehicles. Mm-hmm. I mean, are, are we, are we, I guess we're talking about drones, right? I mean, that will deliver packages uh, or is it a little bit different here when you talk about a drone to me, when I, when I, when somebody talks about, I worked on drones. Um, so to me, a drone is, um, <clears throat> is a military device and, um, um, and it delivers something, but, um, the only unhappy customer would be one that, that lived. <laughs> okay. So that's kind of a difference for me. A drone um, that takes pictures and whatnot, um, yeah, uh, uh, in, the, in the business we call those gnats, okay? They're little annoyance things. But a VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing, that's something where I can deliver something that's of some size and I can, um, I can ensure its delivery. And, um, um, man, I, and they can be a variety of different sizes. A drone to me is a gnat. It's something that's small and annoying. Uh, VTOL is going to be for transporting people, transporting goods and services. I mean, that's that's kind of like what I see in the future. Mm-hmm. And by the way, for those folks that don't know this, people pay me a tremendous amount of money for saying that kind of stuff. Uh, and then they go and invest in a good direction. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that's, that's what I see is, uh, as the next, uh, the next level of transportation and delivery. Um, um okay. So Vito, like, um, what about the sound pollution? I mean, like, for example, I hear this crazy Vito, like coming down my next door neighbor and I just like flip out because it's like so loud. Give me that, are uh, we going to, are there ways um, yeah. where companies so are the insulating the sound or to make it where, you know, yeah. there isn't much sound pollution. Yeah. I'm going to show you one. Okay. Cool. Okay. So, um, you're going to have to pick that whole thing up. So be prepared. Okay. So, um, have a look at this. See that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't make any noise. Really? So now take it away because somebody will be copying it. Okay. So, um, actually that one makes some noise. That's a bypass. Can you give me the, the one that's colorful, um, there that's the, uh, yeah, the plastic one. That one makes some noise. This one makes no noise. This is ours. We designed this and the technology that we put in there, um, to make no noise. That was because, <clears throat> can you give me the pink airplane over there? Yeah. I didn't realize we were going to get down this path, but, um, 
So anyway, um, this, this is our airplane. We designed this. See? It's got this fan in it. it looks like that one you just saw, okay? Um, this, we designed this uh, for a personal air vehicle. Tragically, it worked, and, and you don't have to tell. All you do is say, I want to go to Chicago, and it'll ask which airport, and then you land. You can't go into the major airports, but you but there's tens of thousands of small airports around that this thing would land at. We tried it out, made it work. It's a piece of cake to do something on an airplane or a VTOL because I don't have separation. Like the separation, if you if you have full self-driving, um, the separation is basically from your door, your your passenger door, to the to the uh, to the to the uh, driver's door car next to you going down an expressway. How much is that? Four feet? With with a with an airplane or a VTOL, I got a thousand feet of separation, right? Easy. It's a piece of cake to do that. It's tough when you start fooling around with a car. So the guys that are making the cars right now and they're getting into self-driving, they're the guys that are going to be bringing up, um, uh, they're going to be in the, in the right position to do VTOLs. And as far as noise is concerned, there's ways of um, of getting rid of that noise, and uh, you can you can dampen it down. What you're hearing um, are their gnats, cheap cheap uh, cheap whatever's um, uh, vertical takeoff uh, type of products, but they're not they're not drones and they're not uh, they're not VTOLs. Mm-hmm. This is a uh, yeah fascinating stuff. I mean, it's the future of where. Everything is headed, I think, with transport, delivery, logistics. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, Sandy, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, it's been fantastically informative and thought-provoking. I appreciate all that you're doing for you know folks um, online and just uh, sharing your wisdom and knowledge. I'll go ahead and link to your YouTube channel and your website. Is there anything else of how people can kind of follow you and keep informed? Um, well, uh, we're in the process of rewriting our um, uh, the Monroe um, website, which is actually leandesign.com. And if they want to um, inquire, like say there was somebody that was looking for uh, help on a product that they want redesigned or whatever, then you can go to um, sales at leandesign.com and that'll uh, put you in touch with our sales guys and then they can talk to you about whatever kind of project you want. And we've worked on everything from Barbie to the space station. So there's very little that we can't do. And then some people, especially uh, in the finance world, have been looking for things that um, they want. <clears throat> they want deeper dives on certain areas. Um, and we do that as well. Again, that's also on sales at leandesign.com. And they can, uh, they can interface with one of the people there and, and, uh, and we, um, unfortunately, we charge for that. <clears throat> so, um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, Mike or one of the other people will help you out. Awesome. So, yeah. So anyway, Great. but I'd, I'd like to thank you, David. Thank you for the, uh, for the opportunity to come on your show. And, um, and if you get any hate mail, don't pass it along. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, thanks. And yeah, I hope to do this again in the All future. Right. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's see you, Sandy. Okay. Thanks. Yep.